1: Well, hello. I'm Eric Eastep,
0: and I'm Scott Reevely.
1: and this is the City on a Hill podcast. Welcome back, listeners. We're glad you're here. Welcome back, Scott. I'm glad you're here.
0: Well, thank you. I'm glad somebody's glad I'm here, Eric.
1: <laughs> How is the September treating you? Is uh, something new?
0: So far, so good. It's nice and cool, but I'm still trying to wear shorts. So <laughs> and I'm starting to. It's still
1: summer. Leave me alone. I
0: know. I I, I refuse to let summer go, but it is
1: what it is. I'm doing the same thing, but I have the top on the Jeep now, so I don't know. You've, you've term- caved. That's <laughs> the same.
0: It's exactly the same thing.
1: Yeah. We're, we're trying. We, we'll we miss the sun, but soaking it up while we can. Yep. Um, and just like the roof on the Jeep is preventative against rain, I think we've read some stuff, or you've read some stuff that might be helpful in a preventative fashion for reading our Bibles. So what what are you reading? I, I, I'm i reading Dante right now, and I don't think we want to talk about Dante, I finished it's, Inferno. I, I'm reading Purgatorio now. I don't think not, we want to do that.
0: He might not help you read your <laughs> might Bible might better, actually. <laughs> a few of the things that we really struggle with, I think, came from him.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. And maybe we, could, we can talk about that later. I don't know. Another episode. But what, what are you reading right now that has got well, you some in a it, preventative posture?
0: Some of it's not so much preventing uh, bad Bible reading, though that would be great. Some of it is preventing uh, us from connecting the news to the Bible in ways that are really not right or not helpful. And so that's going to that
1: not bad Bible reading.
0: That's bad Bible reading. It's bad news reading too. Yeah. And I mean, it's a lot of bad reading. That's uh, yeah. So uh, I, uh, we did a couple episodes before on uh, some of the revolutionary war things and the civil war uh, way the Bible's used in the civil war. I'm still, kind of plugging away on those books and the revolutionary war book called sacred scripture, sacred war by James B. Byrd has been uh, fairly provoke provocative um, to me recently because some of the things that I've read in there, I just shake my head and say, how could they come up with this? Mm. And I keep reading and it gets almost more unbelievable. And so I think what, what I've done, these are my words, not his, in my processing of that book on on the use of the scripture in the Revolutionary War period, my, um, there are three essentially three, right now, I've still not finished, there's probably more, but there are three buckets of bad ideas that are um, that he highlights in three separate chapters. Um, they are really, um, I'm just going to say, biblical gyrations. <laughs> they are doing everything they could to maneuver themselves into a, into the Bible and to justify or promote the rebellion against England. And that is just—it's just crazy, really. Because the, I mean, it looks like they're just contorting themselves, contorting mm. the Bible, contorting the news, whatever so that they can
1: we're going to justify. fit this square peg into this round hole.
0: Be, yeah, well that's not much of a gyration, but <laughs> it's a mild gyration. Yes, this is a lot more like like gumby or gumby or some other really flexible thing. And so just my my take on it is I, I would I would say that I've noticed three false moves or three different gyrations that mm. the preacher, these are preachers who did this this is not like this politicians is not this is not politicians like right this these are these are from the pulpits of New England um, during the time they made these three false moves and I'm just I'm just going to call the first one this the first false move is I don't know what to do with this in the Bible. But I'm going to apply it to myself anyway, in any way that I choose.
1: Which brings the question: What could possibly go wrong?
0: Yeah, I, I don't know that I don't know any other way to talk about this. So here you go. This is this is Bible quiz time. If uh, we have a buzzer here, the first uh, the listener, first, first, first listener <laughs> to respond uh, to uh, uh, to us about this uh, is the winner. But there is such a thing. So I'm just gonna say I have three advanced um, degrees, Bible degrees. I've never heard of this. <laughs> I mean, this is just the most ridiculous thing. Um, so this is how it starts. The most famous, well, no, that's not how it starts. It talks about this, the famous curse of Miraz, the famous. In which God, speaking through an angel, condemned the inhabitants of the mystery, mysterious mirage because they refused to fight against his enemies. enemies, was a popular war text for the English Civil War, and it was even more popular in America. Now, when I say popular, uh, the statistics are impressive. This is, this is uh, in the footnotes of uh, Bird's book. The statistics are impressive. He counted two hundred and twenty-seven references to the Song of Deborah, which is where the Curse of Miraz is. It was by f- it was by far the most cited biblical chapter in the period in a hundred-year period between like sixteen um, seventy-five or sixteen maybe sixteen forty and the Revolutionary War in uh, seventeen. Um, what would that be? Seventeen seventy six. Right, That's, we got this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> ding ding ding. <laughs> um, it's the most cited biblical chapter in the period, which just takes my breath away. Because it's. Does anyone know what chapter that is? That's this is this is where you ring in and um, Eric gives you a prize. If if I knew which
1: I would do the cricket one, but I don't know which one <laughs> the cricket one is the buttons that, on the board. Yeah,
0: we have crickets, but it's. Uh, so it's Judges uh, 5, verse 23, the curse of Moroz. I never heard of it. It's by far the most cited biblical chapter in the period. This is the period in which George Witchfield preached, John Wesley preached, uh, Jonathan Edwards preached. Like big, these are big names, people. And the most, by far, the most cited biblical chapter in this period was Judges 5. The total citations for judges 5 in uh, four and five in published sermons so not just the not just all the sermons but the published sermons alone was 271 uh, so this was very popular and then the it, he goes on to say the statistics of the popularity of violent prophecies are even more striking if we add the 36 citations of Jeremiah 4810 which was a related curse often cited alongside the curse of Miraz.
1: So, so you've convinced me of the obscurity of this chapter. Where is the gyration?
0: Well, let, no, 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 no. <laughs> it, it, it's not. Let me read it to you. The curse of Miraz. Here it is. Judges 5.23. The curse of Miraz says the angel of the Lord, curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of the Lord to help to the help of the Lord against the mighty so this uh, verse and that's it that's that's all there is about the curse of Miraz. it's in the song of Deborah Mm -hmm. Deborah of course was a judge and of Israel and uh, led Israel to victory Uh, Jael was uh, a woman who had a essentially uh, murdered or assassinated a, a general in a gruesome way. And yeah, if so, you have some
1: bedtime reading tonight, you can read that story for sure.
0: Yeah, th- th- you might not even want to turn to Jesus 4 and 5. <laughs> but <laughs> this is... <laughs> Local podcaster says, don't read your Bible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> you heard it here first. But, but this... I mean, those two chapters are the most cited chapters for a hundred years in American history. This is this is the most crazy thing I've ever run across.
1: One, and if even if you don't have three advanced degrees in in Bible, essentially, you'd maybe guess, oh, maybe maybe John three would be the most cited, or maybe maybe there's a bunch of Psalm twenty three. I mean, Psalm twenty three or Genesis one. They just kept starting or
0: or something. Never got along. They just (laughs) (laughs) start again. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, yeah so um it, it I already read the first bit of it um, that they that it was it was famous in that time it said but American preachers were also drawn to other elements of the story, including Deborah herself, general barrack, her military ally, and perhaps the most interestingly the tent twin. Tent-dwelling woman, Jael, the song's ultimate hero, who killed the Canaanite general Sisera by driving a tent peg through his skull. As Jael, uh, Jael's blessed homicide demonstrates, this was a bloody ballad, a song that prays sacrifice to the death in allegiance to God. So this is why, I mean, I'm, I'm bringing this up because this became the most popular text for 100 years in American history. And it is—it was so obscure that I'd never heard of it before. Mm. And so, it, the obscurity is one thing. The prospect that you would take the curse of Miraz, and uh, you would use that as a way to um, communicate to the church, really, that you. Um, where that they needed to fight in this Revolutionary War, it's just—I mean—it just takes my breath away that they would take that really obscure mm. thing. Like, and and the thing is, uh, I looked it up. Where's miraz Nobody knows. Who are they? Nobody knows. Are they even Israelites? Nobody knows. Nobody who, knows, who are the mighty. Nobody knows anything about the the mighty. Were the people probably that Deborah was fighting against?
1: But even uh, that probably.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so that, um, but it's yeah. So he, he says he says this. So the, a preacher named named Davies was the one that that really loved this a lot. He said, but anyway, Davies threatened Virginians with the curse of Miraz. and he said, "Shall the curse fall upon Virginia? No, fly from it by venturing your lives for your country, for this curse is far more terrible than anything that can befall you in the field of battle." This is a curse from God, after all, calling upon soldiers to embrace military combat as the work of the Lord. Wow. And so,
1: I mean. I'm just astounded by the certainty of it. We, we read it, and I don't, I'm not sure what it's talking about or who, or who it's talking about. And the, the certainty of this curse will get applied to you. Because you, you don't fight,
0: you didn't take up arms against in this Breton.
1: specific battle, right? Or specific war, Revolutionary War. That's astounding.
0: And so the the other one that I mentioned already was related is Jeremiah forty eight ten, the curse of Jeremiah, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Also, <laughs> it says, "Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord with slackness, and cursed is he who keeps back his sword from bloodshed." Okay. Pull that out of Jeremiah and throw that into your sermon and you've got rationale for rebelling against England. Um, And then again, this is what the author says. Many agreed with Davies that both Jeremiah's curse and the curse of Miraz were warnings against sheer cowardice, though in the case of Miraz, that identification was not explicit in the text. But if Deborah, Deborah is silent on the motivations of Maraz, colonial preachers were ready to compensate with their own explanations, <laughs> motivated by the military needs of the 18th century. Uh, perhaps the inhabitants of Maraz were principled non combatants, pacifists, equivalent to colonial era Quakers, for instance. Uh, anyway, it goes on. And I, for me, you said, what is the gyration here? The gyration is that you take something you don't really know anything about and you apply it with certainty to your situation Mm. and you apply it to your situation in the way that best serves you. Mm -hmm. And see, I think that there's, there is a tendency to do that and to, to, you know, maybe randomly open your Bible, find something that applies to you in a way that you want it to apply to you. Mm -hmm. And your, your motivation is clearly sort of, you know, self, uh, centric, and so you're working to uh, to give license or give permission to yourself for fill in the blank mm-hmm. by using the Bible, mm-hmm. and that's what this curse was. I mean, curse was Miraz. It doesn't even say what the curse was. Right. Where they, you know, who knows what the curse was? Uh, maybe they all got tummy aches or something. I don't, it doesn't say, you know, but... Um, anyway, the Bible Bible dictionary just says none of these identifications for Miraz were convincing. Given limited information provided by the verse, the exact location of Miraz has yet to be re- reliably determined. But I'll bet you it's not in Virginia. <laughs> it's not in Virginia, you know. Well, so, and this
1: reminds me. Just we do preaching meetings every week, and stuff like this will come up because everyone read their they they study the scripture, they study the passage, and then read the commentaries and I could just—I can almost picture this preaching meeting where all the people preaching that passage that week, guys. What do you—what do you do with this curse thing? What—did what, you, did you figure out what, where Maras is or or anything about it? And there'd be a bunch of well, maybe, uh, uh, and then probably, yeah, I'm not really going to talk about this in the sermon. Well, yeah,
0: no, I mean partly because what would you do with it? Well, right. except summon people of except war. Except anything I want. Right. And the the thing—the other thing about that is this is how those preaching meetings go. The commentaries that people read didn't say anything about it either. Mm-hmm. So if you had a difficult thing, you don't usually get much help. Right, us. right. But anyway, so the first gyration is that uh, you can just take whatever you don't understand or don't know what it is and then apply it to yourself in any way that you choose, and you're good to go. And that's not the right kind of biblical move, I'd say.
1: Well, I'd, I'd say the, the less certain you are about the meaning of something— should encourage you to be less certain about your application of that thing as well. That that should be very obvious. That's a really good
0: principle. Say that again.
1: So the less certain you are about the interpretation of something should make you less certain about the application of something.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, So I think there's a second gyration in this book that I noticed and this one i this one's one and we're starting to these become a little more familiar as we go mm-hmm. in other words we'll recognize nobody recognizes the curse of mirage now but you'll recognize sure. this one and that is very simply we are them that's the move we are them and it becomes a gyration because we are them we are always the good guys Seriously, when you're going to identify yourself with somebody in the Bible, you're going to identify yourself with the good guys. Mm. I don't know that there's anybody who who says, I am Jezebel, for instance, or <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, who says that? Nobody says that Or, or, you know, hurrah, we are Egypt or, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, hooray for Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody right. says those things. Everybody's I'm on the snake in the garden. Everybody's on the good side, right? And and so that's kind of the clue. We are them. And what the preachers did and, in uh, the, the time leading up to the, the Revolutionary War is that we are Israel. England is Egypt. And they would make one-for-ones with Israel and Egypt. They would make one-for-ones. You know, one person even said that going back to Deborah, that the uh, the situation of Deborah is exactly the situation we find ourselves in now, which uh, isn't, but that's what they would say. So mm-hmm. when we identify with the biblical character and then take action based on that identification, I think that we're just asking for trouble because oh. we don't have the same uh, uh, relationship to God. We don't have the same covenant from God. We don't have mm-hmm. the same context and most of those things are descriptive, not prescriptive. Right. And so, uh, yeah, to say we are Israel and, and England is Egypt and Moses is going to lead us out mm-hmm. is kind of the way that they would roll on that. Or they would take uh, a verse, and I, um, I didn't go back to find where it is, but they would say that God is a man of war and he will fight for us. So they were enlisting then God's help to fight for us uh, because they identify with Israel. God fought for Israel, so God will fight for us. And that is is a really weak connection. Mm -hmm. That is really about the same, you have about the same level of certainty and confidence that you would say, uh, that you would if you said, you know, Han Solo will fight for us. Or I identify with, you know, uh, Han Solo, and so I'm going to take action based on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might a cosplay, but you won't in real life. And that's how, but that's what they're doing with uh, Egypt and uh, Israel. And uh, I mean, it just makes me crazy. And so the, the other th- I mean, there are a couple of other pieces to this. One is if we, can somehow justify that our cause is God's cause. Now, it's important that you notice the arrangement Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. sentence. Our cause is God's cause. Then when we fight for our cause, we are fighting for God. Mm -hmm. And, And vice versa. We can expect then that because it's God's cause, he will fight for us. And it all hinges on us identifying our cause as God's cause. Now, that's different than saying God's cause is our cause. Right. In other words, we are who's the maker of the cause. We are going to submit ourselves to whatever God asks. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is different than saying my cause is, you know, uh, by my own definition, God's cause. That's Mm -hmm. that's where the ground gets really shaky. The other thing that's really shaky, I think, is that when you have an example set forth in the Bible that you are to follow, there's usually some uh, guidance for what it is about that example that you are to follow. You know, Paul says, imitate me. In other places, he said, my manner of life, my teaching, Mm -hmm. my... Prayers, the you know, essentially in what way? Yeah, in what way should Mm -hmm. you imitate me? Or James says you've heard of the perseverance of Job. Well, that'd be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you should uh, imitate Job in his perseverance. Uh, Maybe not in the way that he spoke. You know, more than he knew Mm -hmm. back to God. Mm -hmm. Don't don't imitate that. So it's really careful. Rather than identifying ourselves, just you know, uh, with a blanket for the good as as the good guys. That's that's the thing that. I don't know what to do with, you know, because all of us want to be the good guys.
1: Well, and I, I think, yeah, I think that's a, it's, a, it's almost a default. Like, who, who's the star in, in the movie that is your life? Like, oh, I, I'm the star. Of course, I'm the star. And if, if there's a, uh, it's camera there, point- a jerky step show. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm sure other people think about this, not just me. No,
0: no, I don't, I've never, 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 never once my mind.
1: And if you're reading things, who do I identify with? Of course, I identify with the good guy or the protagonist or mm-hmm. whatever. And what country do I belong to? Oh, of course, we're the good guys. Um, and I think it's important to have just a dose of humility when you're reading something and realize, okay, I'm not, I'm not the star of the show. My hometown is not the star of the show. The country I live in is not the star of the show. And especially when you're reading scripture, God's doing a particular thing, and you are not the star of that story. Jesus is the star of that story. And if, if you can identify with anyone in scripture, it's probably the rebels. Mm-hmm. And you, you've brought the need to the gospel story, and God brings the solution to the gospel story. Um, and we so often will flip that and then extrapolate that out. I, I belong over here, so of course, my country uh, must be some big prominent part of the story God's telling. No, our country's not in the Bible at all. We're not we're not there. And so if we're trying to um, wedge it in there, it, we're we're going to start misreading and I, I think we'll misread for ourselves and misread for applying it in a more broad way as well.
0: Yeah, so that's I mean that's just something to be careful of and I, I think that that has been uh, you know, that's been a struggle as as we're trying to as we're trying to navigate a city on a hill. What is a city on the Hill? Mm. You know, you are a city on the Hill, like can't be hidden. Jesus said, mm-hmm. and then America co-ops that to be a city on the Hill from the very beginning, this has been like a major, uh, pinch point or a major crossroads for Christians in America to figure out in what respect do I have, you know, hope that God's on my side. And, then, I mean, when I say major crosswords, this is the very beginning. This is before <laughs> the Revolutionary yeah. War. These things were coming up. And, it's in the water. And so we, we run into it all the time, and um, our identification. I mean, the Bible was not written that we might imitate or identify with characters in the Bible. The Bible was written to express to us, to reveal to us um, God's, um, essentially progress or process of redemption. I mean, the whole, it's the story of God redeeming his people. And it's not a story for imitation or, you know, for even for good morality. But anyway, that's an, that's maybe a different topic. But the, the second gyration, the first gyration is pick something you don't know Mm. and go with it however you want to go with it. The second gyration is we are them. In other words, pick the good guy and be them and identify them and expect God to be on your side like he was on their side. And then the third gyration is um, he's the man. I call it he's the man. Okay, these are all my words. These are not the author's words. But um, in other words, it was very popular to, and uh, I learned even Jonathan Edwards did this, um very popular to identify David not merely as a psalmist or a man after God's heart but as a man of war so then you could justify war because he was a man after God's heart you mm-hmm. could justify war because he was the song you know writer of the mm-hmm. bible and so it was David's example then that justified the war and very much the same you know, God is for us, we're the good guys kind of thing. Even Jonathan Edwards, now this is, pains me to say, but even Jonathan Edwards uh, talked about David and Goliath. And, uh, you know, David was smaller, David was weaker, Goliath had all the resources, and now this upstart David is going to overthrow Goliath, much like this upstart America is going to overthrow England. And, I mean, that was he was earlier than that. But that was the the thrust of it. Or then to identify, um, you know, he's the man with some current person. Now, mm. this we're familiar with. We talked about this a couple weeks ago with Revelation. He's the Antichrist. No, 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 no. That, that's mm. passe. He's the Antichrist. We pick a new Antichrist way. Mm-hmm. He's the man. He, this might be the good version of that. He's the man. He's like David. George Washington is like David. He will be our deliverer. Uh that is the way that people read the Bible, and there is there is just no justification whatsoever to do that other than our imagination now could um, George Washington have been like David, maybe in potentially some respect. But not in any respect that allows you to use the Bible to, you know, preach about, uh, you know, going to war because George Washington's like David and da 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 da, connecting all those dots. There's just no dots there to connect. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was just like, what is happening here? And again, you could pick, pick any story and say, because we're like that, or because our leader is like that. And as soon as you do that, then you've got some weak connection that enable and if you take action on it, you just have no biblical authority or ground to do that with any confidence, but people do it anyway and that's what's stressful so that's that happened in the um in the time of the revolutionary war, and the reality is it's still happening mm-hmm. you know we talked about this a little bit before and um why don't you?
1: Yeah, and I, I think this this third gyration is is one of the ones that happen uh, maybe not most frequently, but uh, is a little Recently. more obvious. It's it, it's recent for sure. But in the last well, last six years or so, we saw plenty of references to President Trump being like Cyrus or is our Cyrus when Cyrus is a obscure bible figure uh in in the bible and was a
0: prominent historical figure i mean yeah prominent historical well i mean we we know who he was he was the real deal
1: sure but it's of the chapters in the bible it's not the most frequently frequently quoted not
0: near as common as Uh, judge yes
1: (laughs) yes we, we know who cyrus is and in scripture he's um a pagan king who's used for for ends that god had in mind so there's this almost justification if we if we attach this modern person to this old person, um this ancient person that was used by God, okay now we have we have the phrase used by God, and now we can um, kind of run with that uh, attachment and it it bears some of that weight, just like David's a man of war George Washington's like david or or anything like that and you can almost it's like stealing a base, you're stealing some of the authoritative nature of scripture and going, oh, if I can attach these things. Mm -hmm. Then um, there's there's weight there that wasn't there before. Yeah, you're
0: borrowing credibility from the Bible for, Mm -hmm. uh, in this instance, to call President Trump Mm -hmm. Cyrus, Mm -hmm. and so that that isn't justified, right? Um, You know, God raised Cyrus up for a purpose. Now you could say God raised Trump up. That's fine, but not like Cyrus, Mm -hmm. because God was doing something for His people in Israel that uh and restoring them to the land and part of his story of redemption happened with cyrus that it did not happen right when uh when trump was president so there's
1: really multiple layers of clout you're grabbing when you do that there's the cyrus piece there's the connection to god piece. there's the connection of god's people to god piece, and all of that's kind of borrowed at the same time and and some of it's subtle some of it you wouldn't even necessarily know but it, it again attaches something modern to the story of scripture that's telling a different story than Mm -hmm. what do we do in America in 2023? That's an important topic. We want good answers to those things, Mm -hmm. but that's not the story that's being told in scripture.
0: Yeah, and you just, the lesson, I'm calling these, uh, you know, uh, biblical gyrations, because these are things that you just um, need to be aware of and how awkward it is to move the Bible around in this way. Mm -hmm. And to, to, you just end up with more or less anything you want to end up with. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just really important for us. If we're going to submit to, if we say we want to submit to the Bible, that means that the Bible cannot just do whatever I want it to do. Right Then I'm not, then it's submitting to me. Right. Rather than me submitting to it. Mm -hmm. So, Anyway, yeah, he's the man we're the uh, we are them and I don't understand this so I'm gonna do whatever I want with it as long as it works for me. Those are the three moves that just made me crazy reading this book and in just imagining because uh, this is one of the times really uh, in American history when there were fewer uh, churchgoers than uh, any time in history as far as a percentage mm. of Americans. And so the percentage of Americans in church was less, and the percentage of sermons on these topics was more, which would mean that really anything that the America was getting from the pulpits was wacko. Mm. Not, I mean, there are some exceptions. There are some good sermons, I'm sure. Sure. But anyway, these three things just made me crazy as I read it. It's, how can this be? So. Just just exhale. Well, and I want
1: to underscore for us that we're we're reading a problem from 300 years ago, uh, but it's a human problem. It's you. I think the the default, if you don't think about it well, when you come to scripture, is going to be some of these gyrations because there's something you want to do, and you want justification for it. And if you can somehow attach Bible to what you want to do, you you grab some authority. The Bible's authoritative. If I can go, hey, look at this little quote, I can support this thing I want to do. The the temptation to stretch and to modify and to uh, make the words fit your particular situation, they're always there. So we want you to think about that before you read the Bible and be aware that that's your that's probably your default you could you can probably train that out of yourself you can uh gain wisdom and learn and uh, mature out of that but that's probably going to be the default
0: and i think you know be on guard about that so Mm -hmm. kind of the part part of what we're trying to do is like raise awareness so we we look in the mirror and we see this in ourselves because it it occurred to me if this if if the curse of Miraz was the most popular text in a hundred-year period in uh, American pulpits. Um, You know, how did that happen? The Bible is a big book. How did that happen? I think it happened because those people are there. It was in the air. Mm -hmm. Everybody was doing it. And so... What are, what are you preaching on? I'm preaching on the curse of Mirage. Oh, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, how how do these things happen? They read they read it and then right. somewhere else, and then they preach it there. And however that worked, th- I mean, they were they were men of their times. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I'm I'm beginning at The more history I read, the more I realize that the 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 people I read about were, were men of their times. In other words, they were um, they were so influenced by the the life that they were part of and the world they were part of that they didn't see what, you know, hundreds of years later, we look back and say, Oh, that's, that's terrible. What were you doing? They didn't think that it didn't mm-hmm. occur to them to ask mm-hmm. the question. And so one of the things I'm hoping that just by bringing this up, I'm hoping that, um, we'll at least ask ourselves the question, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Is this, is this justifiable? And can you know, or are you just simply you know, trying to manipulate God or manipulate the Bible or manipulate right. other people with the Bible? Um, and so uh, you know, because really, if we, nobody raises the question, we don't see it because we're we too are people of our times. Mm-hmm. So,
1: well, you all listeners are people of your times, <sighs> so be aware. Uh, and next time you crack open the Bible, um, maybe just say a little prayer and say, God, help me be humble in the way I interpret this and read this and help me understand it well and apply it well and apply things that are most certain in scripture um, and apply them certainly and emphatically. And then as I become less certain, um, just ask that God give you wisdom to do that well. So I think that's good for today. Yes, thank you. Uh, listeners, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and rate us. If you find what we're doing helpful review, would go a long way to getting this to other people. Share it with a friend. If you have questions, send them to comment at cityonahillpodcast.com. We cannot tell you where Miraz is, so don't ask that. But if you have other questions, you can send those in. And we look forward to the next conversation.